Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you experts from the media industry to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Over the last year, stories centred around racism and racial discrimination have continued to dominate the news agenda. There were big headlines around the Black Lives Matter movement, debates over the country's historical links to slavery, and the allegations from Prince Harry and Meghan Markle that the British press is racist. But for many black, Asian and minority ethnic people, racism is an everyday experience, and yet the news agenda does not reflect those perspectives. This time last year, The Independent made a bold move to commit to uncovering more of these unheard stories. They hired a race correspondent in Nadine White, the first role of its kind in the industry designed to report specifically on racial groups. The Guardian and the BBC each have community affairs correspondents with similar intentions, but The Independent's role is clearly a lot more direct in its focus. In this episode of the podcast, Nadine looks back on the impact her role has had on the industry one year into the job, saying that a key focus to date has been emphasising that these are not monolithic communities and every story needs to be reported with nuance. We'll be digging into all of that and more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Nadine, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Great to have a chance to speak to you. Thanks so much for jumping on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. Pleasure. Um, Do you have a little known fact about yourself that you can share with our audience? Well, a couple of things, actually. I'll I'll lead with the first. I am um, scared of pigeons. I've always had this phobia, I know, I know. I've always had this phobia of, of pigeons and actually big birds in general, um, seagulls, crows, um, no idea where it came from, but the story goes that when I was a baby and my mum would push me around in the pushchair in the buggy, I would go completely berserk once I saw pigeons, Like, and it's just something that I've lived with um, for years, so yeah. Not a big fan of the birds, but uh and, and and number two? You said there was two. Number two is actually, you know, I I spend a lot of time on Twitter. I've noticed. Um yes. <laughs> spend a lot of time on Twitter, um, you know, tweeting stories, chiming in on the topic of the day, etc. And I might come across as being really outgoing online, but in real life I'm really quite shy and quiet and reserved. So hmm. that might be something that, you know, not many people know about me. Two very revealing things about you. Around about this time last year, you joined um, The Independent as, um, you know, the, this quote-unquote industry-first position as a race correspondent. Um, how's that been going, generally speaking, since then? Yeah, so um, since starting at The Independent as race correspondent, just over a year ago, it's um, it's been a real adventure you know very much a learning curve and very much a process as well of molding a role that um up until I, I i stepped into it hadn't existed within the uk industry before so rather exciting in that regard um challenging at times as well which i'm sure we'll get to but all in all a huge um huge privilege actually and a huge opportunity to help shape the um, national discussion around key events and key topics. My role really consists of amplifying marginalised perspectives and reporting on areas that often go unexplored or don't get the visibility that it deserves and helping to place these stories and these narratives uh, where they should be, which is at the forefront of the national news agenda. 
and I and I feel like you know having conversations with people before I started the role about what the expectations are, what the responsibilities are. Uh, the people closest to me, and also some industry colleagues, had the concern that it might be quite limited. You know, I think there's a general misconception that when you're focusing on an area that's considered quite niche, that there's a risk of being pigeonholed and, you know, just writing about one thing. But I found that as race correspondent and and reporting on race, there are a variety of different um, areas to cover. For example, this week alone, I've been a royal correspondent, you know, um, as well as race correspondent in that role. Um, focusing on the royal tour of the Caribbean where the key issues out there across Belize and Jamaica and the Bahamas are reparations Mm -hmm. for slavery um, from the British state and royal family. So I've been focusing quite heavily on that. Also Ukraine as well. Unfortunately, there's a crisis of war going on there. Yeah, you were part of an investigation there um, to do with non-white refugees uh, um, in Ukraine, correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. It was a, a collaboration between myself, my colleague May Borman, and um, an agency by the name of Lighthouse. And so we really shone a light on those, you know, harrowing stories of, of non-white, um, specifically African refugees being detained while trying to flee Ukraine to safety, um, they so thought, in neighbouring um, EU countries. But in general, you know, there are ongoing issues around racism um, at various borders um, within Ukraine. Yeah. Did did the breadth of that remit, was that apparent from the very beginning or did over time you start to see that actually this goes much wider than, than you kind of first thought? So I always knew approaching um, the this new role that it would be a broad, broad remit and I always knew that it would be a huge responsibility. So I, I, I can't say that I was particularly surprised. I think at times it's been a bit overwhelming, you know, stepping into this, this new role, but in the best possible sense. Hi there, hope you're enjoying the show. Just a quick one from me and then we'll get back to the interview. Just wanted to let you know that our digital journalism conference news ride is finally returning to the physical space and we can't wait to see you there. Join us on the 24th of May 2022 at News UK's stunning 17th floor space in London Bridge to hear expert panels and discussions, but most importantly, to network with your peers at last. You can take advantage of our early bird offer, which will save you £40 on your ticket. Hurry now, because the offer only lasts until the 8th of April. Head over to newsrewide.com to bag your ticket now. You, you kind of spoke there about the privilege of having this space to to cover this beat, but also the weight of expectation. I'm wondering what keeps you accountable to cover all of these stories that um, have historically gone unheard and, and make sure that you are, you know, delivering on what this role was created to do, which was um, uncovering stories that often go untold. Mm-hmm. I, I keep myself accountable first and foremost, because, you know, I've spoken on this previously and I, and I, and I always mention from time to time that I was very intentional about amplifying underreported perspectives, um, specifically from within marginalized communities, like black communities being a black woman. I was very intentional about that in embarking on, on this career, this specific career in the first instance. And so um, I always hold on to what I call my reason 
you know, and that helps to propel me forward. So I always carry with me that sense of accountability, personal accountability, but also what keeps me accountable or who keeps me accountable are the um, the audiences and in particular the communities who my work speaks to the most, you know, so Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities, those who, um, as I always say, historically and, and even presently don't have the luxury of picking up magazines and newspapers and seeing their perspectives reflected and, 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 and seeing their views um, highlighted in a consistent and nuanced way. How does that specifically happen? Like if, if your community, you've become very prominent over the last year, you've gained a big following. Do they let you know if there's a story that needs covering, that needs your attention, that warrants your attention now having, you know, the platform and the position you do? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and through every, just about every medium you can think of. So Twitter, you know, um, direct tweets or DMs. I get a lot of DMs and, you know, to my shame, I, I don't always, I'm not always able to stay across those. And I try my best to though. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, which is a platform that I probably use the least out of all the social media platforms, but I try to, you know, man the inbox because I find that increasingly a lot of people contact me there as well with stories or just feedback, encouragement, you know, yeah. words of affirmation, which, you know, I'm, I'm really appreciative of. Um, Facebook, email, every platform, you know, it's great. So what's maybe your favourite or best example of a story you've run over the last year, which was prompted by um, someone within your audience, your community, getting in touch with you saying, listen, the independent must be covering this. This needs to be a topic that is that should be covered in the national news agenda. And it's currently not. OK, it's, um, that is a really interesting question, because actually a lot of the the stories that I've written have been based on information that's been you know, flagged to me from within, you know, the communities that I, that I write, most write about. Um, so there are a few examples that come to mind. One is the um, first protest that took place in Jamaica. So this happened on Tuesday, just under 400 people turned up to this protest uh, and it was staged to happen on the same day that Prince William and Kate arrived in Jamaica from Belize, which is where they previously were on their tour. And the protest was calling for reparations and apologies from the British monarchy for slavery. Uh, somebody got in touch with me um, who was aware that this was taking place and said that, you know, this is a key issue. Um, they feel that the, the moment to raise concerns around ongoing injustices i.e., you know, lack of reparations and a proper acknowledgement of, of slavery and the impact on, on black people is now. And being race correspondent, they suggest that this is something that I pick up on, you know, as a matter of urgency. And so I did. And it actually happened that I was the first journalist in the world to cover this. And after my report, um, other publications picked up on it and, you know, it got the, the, the issue separate and aside from the protests at, at the core of the demonstration, got the uh, attention that it warranted. So that's that's one one story that comes to mind. Also, Child Q, the really, really uh, disturbing case of a 15-year-old black girl who was strip-searched while on her period and following a, a false uh, accusation of, of drug possession by two police officers in her school. Um, this is information that was brought to my attention through somebody again within um 
the communities that I, I write most about. And this is something that since it was brought to my attention, I've been reporting on um, consistently and will continue to do so, you know, as, as things unfold. At the moment, the IOPC, Independent Office for Police Conduct, um, is conducting a probe and investigation into the actions of the police officers involved and uh, Hackney Council leadership has called on the head teacher of the school where the child attended to resign. So, you know, things are still unfolding, but those are two examples that come to mind. As you might be starting to tell, the vast majority of Nadine's stories are negative. They're dominated by racism, discrimination and xenophobia. As much as having the space and mandate to explore these neglected perspectives is a privilege, having such a unique and new role in the industry can come with added pressures, acting as a lightning rod for online abuse. She tells me that most of the time, the experiences she is reporting on have been steeped in trauma. And as a black woman, it's hard to detach herself from what she is covering. Often there are moments of personal resonance and vicarious trauma, which takes its toll on her own mental health. The, the realisation of that has fueled my determination to practice and prioritise self-care as much as possible. Um, but there have been positive stories um, within those two. So I have, for example, reported on, I mean, it's, it's, it's to do with illness, but reported on groundbreaking new treatment that's been rolled out through the NHS for sickle cell patients, which for many will be a lifeline that's hugely important. And it's the first uh, treatment that's been, you know, issued for this illness in about two decades, you know, so it was really welcome, positive news for um, many people. I've also interviewed Selena Boyd, who is the founder of um, the newly launched Coco Girl and Coco Boy magazine, which is the UK's first magazines, um, children's magazines, um, tailored specifically for black children. Um, so those are just two of, of, of a handful of examples of positive stories that I've covered. But I think, you know, moving forward, and I've discussed this with my editor at length, you know, I really want to, in carving out this role and in moulding this role, focus on positive stories. I don't discount the reporting that I do around negative stories and around the trauma because the trauma is part of our you know our, our, our lived perspectives as black asian and minority ethnic people and and you know it is important to bear witness and to highlight these perspectives um particularly where this doesn't happen as consistently as it should across the uk media space right because i i do imagine that constantly talking about racism and discrimination for you must be exhausting and it must be just a, a toll on your mental health you said there about your self-care tips what keeps you going what what keeps you doing this job and moving forward through these difficult moments it's a really good question um reporting uh so so frequently so much on on racism and discrimination and trauma does weigh on me but funnily enough it also propels me uh, it lends itself to my reason, which, you know, we, we discussed this earlier, and the reason why I embarked on this particular career was to help um, balance out the playing field and to highlight the perspectives that we don't often see uh, reflected in the news. And so that keeps me going, you know, and, and when whenever it gets a bit too much, um, because I'm only human and I recognise I can't be everything to everyone all the time, and I'm not made of steel and, you know, rest is important. Balance is important. I do step away. I step away from the devices and anyone who follows me knows that I'm an avid tweeter. But I step away from that. You know, there is a time for going outside and getting fresh air, 
you know, basking in the sunshine, um, linking up with family members and friends and people who help to keep me centered and making time for fun as well, you know. Um, so it is it's a balancing act. And I don't always get it right as I'm talking to you now. I'm I'm completely knackered from staying up and trying to keep up with Jamaica's time difference. They're five hours, um, five hours behind us, just keeping up with the Royals and what's going on there. Um, Belize before that, Bahamas for the next couple of days. So I'm knackered, but um I know that. You know, I'll be taking a few days off next week to recenter myself and stay balanced. But yeah, what keeps me going is the mission, the purpose. And I'm passionate about telling these stories. What I do for a living uh, very much ties into uh, what I believe to be my calling. And we all have a calling. We're all on different paths. And, you know, that's that's mine. So I'm enthused. Can you give me a kind of a, a quick fire go to self-care tip that you that you always revisit and it tends to pick you up? Just super quick fire. Quick fire self-care tip. Walks. Walks. Um, it sounds a bit boring, actually. And if 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 you'd asked me this question three years ago, you would have got a different answer. But since the pandemic actually and working remotely like most other people, I found that you know, state mandated exercise or getting out and walking once a day um i really leaned into that as a way to just get out and get some fresh air it's, it's a habit that i've kept up since um since then in january 2021 whilst working in her previous role at the huffington post nadine was flooded with online abuse after the british mp and equalities minister kemi badenoch tweeted screenshots of emails in which nadine asked for comment on why she did not participate in a video encouraging ethnic minorities to get the COVID-19 vaccine. There was nothing out of the ordinary about this request. In fact, many journalists came out to describe Nadine's comment request as an example of textbook journalism. Rather than simply answering the email, Badnock chose to post the screenshots on Twitter, directing a wave of online abuse in Nadine's direction. It was so bad that Nadine temporarily came off the platform. The MP's assertion that a journalist asking for comment in this way was, quote, creepy and weird, was defended by number 10 Downing Street. Nadine told me a bit more about how this incident affected her and how the trolling has only intensified in her new role. It was just shocking, really. And as you say, textbook journalism, fact-checking, um, you know, making the right inquiries. I did nothing wrong. I was literally just doing my job. And it was a shock to, to see that reaction from an elected official. I did uh, ask for an apology, didn't get it, and um, just kept it moving, really, you know, um, stepped into this new role it's been um it's been non-stop ever since in terms of what I need to do and my responsibilities and life goes on and um I've just made my peace with the fact that you know that happened and it was heartening actually to see the outpouring of support from you know the public and people who saw but also colleagues across the industry so it's not like I was um alone in in that struggle and in the knowledge that you know that should not have happened and yeah what's the trolling been like since becoming race correspondent has it dissipated given that you've become a bit more uh prominent popular got a bit more support behind you or has it kind of actually intensified and created a target for yourself the the abuse has got worse the online abuse has got worse um i was thinking about trying to rationalize it like i was going to say oh maybe it's because my job title has the word race in it and race triggers the racists and they just come out in their numbers. Um, I don't know what it is, um, frankly. I know that oftentimes when people see, seek to be abusive, um, particularly online, they hide behind the anonymity 
that you know online uh, profiles can give they don't have to put a real picture of themselves up they don't have to put up their real name so yeah I, I get abuse through Twitter DMs mainly as as I said earlier I'm an avid user of Twitter but also under articles like some of the comments I, and I learned this very quickly can be quite um hateful and bigoted I was going to say interesting but that's not quite the right word that wouldn't do it justice and so I resolved quite early in my role um, at the indie maybe around May of last year to not read uh, the comments really under the articles so I have a tendency not to read those just for as I said earlier you know self-care that's very important and I see as well and yeah yeah not going down that rabbit hole um so I mean do you have any closing thoughts on what can be done about you know, this state of play with online abuse towards journalists, what other support journalists need? Um, I think social media um, companies, organisations uh, could do a lot more to stamp out abuse and clamp down heavily and quickly um, on racist abuse in particular. You know, as we're talking about the specific kind of abuse that I often get, um, that that hasn't happened. And I believe that they should ramp up their efforts. I'm not the only person that's, you know, of this opinion so I, I really hope that moving forward that can be done. But in the meantime, I'm just going to continue to do what I can to um, manage that as best as possible, which is a sad reality, to be honest with you. But we move, you know, there's, there's stuff to do. We move and keep doing what you do best, which is the journalism you're putting out every day. Thank you very much, Jacob. Nadine, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for sparing the time. No worries. My main takeaway from this conversation is that any industry-first role like this carries huge expectations as well as privileges. Nadine has risen to become popular on social media and now has a legion of support, but she is no less immune to the tolls of online abuse and trolling. Her calls for social media platforms to do more against this sad reality is one we will keep a close eye on, especially as the UK's recent online safety bill comes into law this month. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. You can DM or tweet me at JPG Journalism or the wider team at journalism.co.uk at Journalism News. If you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want to cover on the podcast, do get in touch. I'm on Jacob at Journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you liked what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. That way, you won't miss our next exciting episode next week where we speak to the FT about their freshly launched app, FT Edit. If you're a fan, do leave us a review and a rating so others can discover these conversations for themselves. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.